0: wanted to say thank you guys so much for being here. We're excited to dive into the Bible here in just a few moments. Before I do that, um, if it's your first time or maybe you haven't been here in a long time, my name's Taylor and um, I get the privilege of leading Bethel Youth. Uh, I'm I'm along with an amazing team um, of youth leaders and if you're a youth leader, can you just wave your hand? Just hey. They are incredible. They are amazing. They sacrifice and they give so much so that um, you guys can come to a deeper understanding of who Jesus is and um, what Jesus has done for you and what he has for you. And um, something also as exciting is Kaylee, can you raise your hand? Kaylee is uh, joining School of Ministry this year, and so she's going to be uh, Bethel Youth's intern uh, for the next two years, and uh, we are thoroughly excited to have her um, on board. She is going to be going through our two-year program uh, to be uh, licensed with the Assemblies of God and um, in partnership with going to school at Northwest University. And um, if you've ever had um, the desire, uh, or maybe you just want to talk to somebody about what it looks like to go into um, vocational ministry, um, where you work, like it's your job to be um, in ministry, whether that job is full-time or part-time. If you're just, you're curious about that and you would like to know more about that, I would love to talk to you about that. You can also talk to Brandon and Rebecca. They are School of Ministry graduates As well, Um, Brittany, who is not here, is also a School of Ministry graduate, and Courtney, who is also not here, is also a School of Ministry graduate, and ironically enough, I'm a School of Ministry graduate as well. So, kind of hilarious. But yeah, if you're interested in um, knowing more about that program, we'd love to talk to you about that. Uh, Second thing is um, actually in relation to Courtney. uh, Many of you guys know who Courtney is. She is the youth and kids um, administrative assistant. She assists uh, myself and Pastor Jeremy, and uh, she's incredible. And one of the things that she is taking on is also helping me uh, lead the school of ministry. And so one of the things that she With much like prayer and consideration, one of the things that she's going to be removing from her plate is uh, being a youth leader on Wednesday nights. And so um, she's a high school girls leader, but she has been with us for so long and she's not like leaving us. She'll still be um, in the band once a month Uh, next week. Uh, she'll be in the band, and um, we're gonna just we're gonna honor her and um, give her a gift. And uh, if if you uh, know Courtney, if Courtney has made an impact on your life, I would encourage you to either shoot her a text or next week when she's here, uh, just tell her maybe the impact or the the things that maybe she's done for you in your life and your walk with Jesus. And um, we are excited that she's going to be able to um, just devote more time to the school of ministry. And um, yeah, so I just wanted to let you guys know: last Wednesday or next Wednesday is her last Wednesday. Um, we we just jumped into a series last week. Shout out to Zach who kicked us kicked our Can I ask that series off? I don't know if you how many of you guys were here last week, but Can I ask that is a really fun time for us where. You, the student, um, submit questions about just life and faith and culture and these different things. And we uh, try to respond and address those different questions from a biblical worldview, from a biblical perspective. Asking the question, what does scripture say about this topic? Um, what does the Bible say? What does Jesus say? How are we, as to Christians, how are we supposed to uh, live out um, our life in light of these different questions? And so we wanted to address these questions. And so um, if you have not yet submitted a question or maybe um, at the end of tonight's sermon or small groups, you have another question that pops up. uh, You can do it two ways. You can DM us on Instagram, Bethel Church, YTH on Instagram, or there is um, Sean, can you wave at us Uh, just to the uh, our left Sean's right. Um, there's a table by the door. There is a, a piece of paper and a basket. Feel free to write down your question. We're going to address questions in two ways, Wednesday night sermons and also kind of short podcasty type um, avenues. And so we'd love to answer your questions. Um, the text that we're going to be looking at today is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. So if you have a paper Bible, or if you have your phone, you can go to the YouVersion Bible app. When you open that up, you go to the bottom right-hand corner of your screen. It says more. Click on that. Go to events. You'll see Bethel Youth on there. You can um, tap that. And save it, and then um, you can make your own notes. Our text is there, our small group questions are there, and um, it's extremely helpful to have this in front of you while you're listening to a text being preached. And um, the question that we are going to be tackling today is is premarital sex a sin? Um, This question was actually asked um, uh, by two different people, and we are we're thrilled to talk about it. Um, But before we do, I just want to just give a brief recap of what Zach talked about last week. Unfortunately, um, I did not set up anything to record it, so we don't have any recordings of his sermon. But he talked about um, heaven and hell. More specifically, the question was, "What is the difference between heaven and hell?" Why does some people go to heaven and some go to hell? And this is an incredible question. Um, and I'm so thankful that um, Zach addressed this. Thank you to whoever asked this question. It was such a great question. And if you maybe had a question that popped up from this sermon, I would encourage you to, like I said, DM us on Instagram Bethel Church YTH, or you can submit a written question in that box. Because our our job or our goal is not just to one and done these. different Different questions. It's not our goal to just preach one sermon and think that that will exhaust all of um, the information surrounding that topic or question, and we hope that last week uh, you left with a greater understanding of what hell is, what heaven is. And um, that's, our, that's our hope and that's our prayer for tonight as well as we talk about uh, this question of premarital sex. We hope that you leave uh, this gathering encouraged. We hope that you leave this gathering with a deeper understanding of um, God's view of sex and why it was created um, and as I, as I read this question, um, I can think of a few other questions that are adjacent to this original question that are just right next to this question, and it's these. What is off limits in a dating relationship? What can I do and still honor Jesus in my dating relationship? And the most common question that maybe you've asked yourself or maybe a friend has asked it or maybe you've just heard someone ask this question is how far is too far? Like, how far can I go in, in a relationship, physically, emotionally, before it is too far? And let me say this. I don't necessarily think these are uh, bad questions. Now, I don't think that they are the most important questions to ask in the search to honor Jesus with our relationships. So we have to ask the question, okay, so if we don't think that they're the most helpful, why are they not the most helpful questions? I think the most obvious is the place that these questions are being asked from. The framework of these questions view boundaries as negative and restricting. If you have grown up um, or spent much time in um, a church context, you may have been taught uh, boundaries in, this, in the area of relationships that are based um, on or centered around morals that are found or laid out in the Bible. And most often, uh, morals rooted in Scripture do go against the masses of what culture would define as, as right although there is is overlap and similarities between the two worldviews in in certain areas. But the things that go against the grain of the masses can be difficult, because if we were honest with ourselves, we all have a desire to fit in and not cause any ripples. But when you've committed your life to following the way of Jesus, you're called to live in such a way that is countercultural because the way of Jesus goes against your natural desires, which your natural desires are sinful desires. And I'll be honest with you. It's easy to see boundaries, especially boundaries laid out in Scripture, in a negative way because they do go against the grain of culture mostly. But a, but a question that might be helpful to ask is this. If God is good, if God has a plan what is his plan for sex and relationships? And maybe an even more simple question to ask is, does God have a sexual ethic regarding sex and marriage? And if so, what is it? And I personally think it's a bit more helpful um, to under, in understanding what God desires for sex and marriage first. So let's go to the Bible Let's discover what God says about these things in his word. And I just want to say, we're going to we're gonna read 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20. Um, and this is one passage. Um, this is one passage. This is one instance talking about sex and the mis- misuse of it. But it's not the only text in all of Scripture that addresses this topic. This is just the one um, text that I decided to preach from and um That's that. (laughs) Okay, so let's stand together as we read 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Um, If you have your Bibles, I would love for you to read along, or your phones. It is also on uh, the screen behind me, controlled by the Kion. Kion, not Kion. Gosh, the Lion Guard. 1 Corinthians 6. I'm so sorry, Kion. Verses 12. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality. And the Greek word there is porneia. But for the Lord and the Lord for the body, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins... Uh, Sexually, sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You may be seated. So, this is the framework. This is the text that we are going to be uh, dissecting and working through in order to answer, answer this question is premarital sex a sin? Um, in reading any text, we have to learn um, why this certain chunk was written and what was the climate that it was written to. This is called cultural context. So in this case, this letter that we have, 1 Corinthians, is not the first interaction that the Apostle Paul had with the church in Corinth. It, our 1 Corinthians is a response by the Apostle Paul to, the, to a letter that the church in Corinth sent to Paul with questions. And um, this is a general scholarly consensus. So, what we are reading as 1 Corinthians is actually a response from Paul um, from the church in in, uh, Corinth. So, Corinth was the largest and most important city in ancient Greece. I have a a picture of of a map of where Corinth was located. Uh, The population is about 90,000, or was, I guess. Corinth really doesn't exist in the way it did in the first century, but it was about ninety thousand people, and since it was on the the ocean and on the sea, it made it a hub for trading and activity. And the Greeks, as you probably already know, uh, they were deeply embedded in the worship of, of gods and hundreds and hundreds of gods. Um, part of these worship, a part of the worship to these gods, was to Excuse me. Share meals and feasts together as part of their worship. So these 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 parties would be in the temples. The temples would do. These different gods would be spread out all over the city, and they would have these. Have you guys ever been to the roller drum in Centralia? Just by a show of hands. Okay, what? Dude, I think you among all of us have gotten so many raspberries from the roller drum. I used to love the, the races, you know, and the speed skating because I thought I was really cool. Um, but anyways, um, so you know at the roller drum, they have those little party rooms. Okay, so I want you to picture the party rooms at the roller drum just slightly different. OK, a little bit bigger, um, a little more elegant, less balloon carpet and <laughs> more gold. And think of a, a table in the center with a U-shaped couch around it. And so what would happen is um, is as a person would make a sacrifice to this God and they wouldn't sacrifice all of the animal. They would take some of the animal. They would invite all of their friends over to have this feast in these party rooms within um, the within the temple, and so you invite all your friends, you would eat lots of food, but then there was also lots and lots and lots of wine, and they would drink lots and lots and lots of wine, and um, they, would, they would get drunk, and um, towards the end of the, these feasts and there's these parties, um, part of the ritual was they would bring in prostitutes and hired sex slaves, So this was a part of, this was deeply embedded into the culture of the Corinthians. Casual sex in this manner was among, was common among Greeks in this culture. And these people that Paul is writing to in Corinth are Greeks that have surrendered themselves to the way of Jesus and are now Christians. The thing they were misunderstanding, though, and we need to understand this, the thing that they were misunderstanding is the way that grace and forgiveness plays out in the life of a Christian. Like I said, these these Corinthians were ingrained into this culture, and some of them, particularly the men, because it was a patriarchal society, were still participating in these feasts and activities even after they gave their lives to Jesus. If you look at, the, at verse 12, the first part of verse 12, you'll notice some quotations. These quotations were not in the original manuscripts. The, the translators added these quotations to help us see that Paul is responding to something the Corinthians have said. So verse 12a, I have the right to do anything. You see those quotes there? And then right after it says, you say... So what Paul is saying is, is the Corinthian church is saying, I have the right to do anything. But then Paul responds saying, but not everything is beneficial. So what we're reading is this rebuttal um, to what the Corinthian church says. They have missed what grace and forgiveness is for. But in their defense, it's easy to think that you can do anything you want and be forgiven because at face value, that's almost what grace and forgiveness looks like. But that's not the way that God's grace and forgiveness works. Grace is not a license to sin. But when a person surrenders to the work of Jesus on the cross and through his resurrection, they are adopted into the family of God and receive grace and forgiveness for their sin. They are also called to live in such a way that honors God and not just themselves. And this is not what was happening in this Corinthian church. And we can easily assume if they they had this mindset in hiring prostitutes and sex slaves to be a part of this ritual to pagan gods, it's probably rampant in other areas of their life. And the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans actually speaks to this very thinking in Romans 5. He says, The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Chapter 6, verse 1. But what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And we see that the Corinthians in the second half of verse 12 says, once again, I have the right to do anything. And Paul responds with, but I will not be mastered by anything. Yes, grace abounds in our sin and it's a gift from God. But there are decisions that are not beneficial and will harm you. And to further justify their actions, they give an example in the first part of verse 13. They say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. So what's, what's the issue? God's going to destroy our stomachs. He's going to destroy our bodies. So why don't we just give the body what it wants, give the stomach what it wants? And Paul responds with like, no, no, God is not going to destroy you. Just as he raised Jesus from the dead, he's going to raise and we will receive new bodies in heaven. And when Paul was preaching uh, the gospel in Corinth, he could have used examples like what he did in the church in Colossae, verse 16. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. So they're like, well, maybe they heard, I don't know exactly what the timeline was, but maybe they've heard Paul say these things. And it's like, yeah, but we're free to eat whatever we want, so that means the same thing for sex, right? Right? Food laws and sex outside of a covenant relationship with God and your spouse are not the same things. The Corinthians made a connection of my stomach wants food, I give it food, my body wants sex, I give it sex. These are not the same thing and they need to be treated differently. And Paul says you will not be mastered by your bodily impulses. In a sermon on this very text, Tim Mackey says, you you may feel like you're being sexually liberated, but what's actually happening is you're showing that you cannot control your bodily impulses. You're actually showing that you're a slave to your body. Paul continues, verse 13. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and you reunite them with the prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with the prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So what Paul is trying to communicate to the Corinthians is that sex is not just an act that you do. It is not something that you just do physically. It is a spiritual, it is a physical, it is an emotional, and it is a relational joining. You can hear and you can see the language, the joining, the bringing together that Paul is using. When they've committed themselves in the covenant of marriage. When Paul says the two will become one flesh, he's referencing Genesis chapter 2 where God created woman and she was a suitable helper for Adam. And God says that when man leaves his father and mother and unites himself with his wife, they become one. That union of man and wife is the context for which sex is intended to be. Here's an example to help me illustrate this. Um, have you ever had to um, improvise when you didn't have the right tool to do the job that you wanted to do? You guys ever experienced this? You've, maybe you've used a key as a flathead screwdriver, and then you realize like this never works because the key is always fatter than the slot for the flathead screwdriver, but doggone it, you're gonna try every time. I don't know if that's just me, but I try every time. Um, How many duct tape lovers do we have in the house? You use duct tape when you don't have a screw or you don't have glue or something to put something back together. Or you use zip ties to put things back together because you're like, you know what? This is going to be totally fine. It's totally great. I want to tell you a story. I had a 1986 Volkswagen Golf. I should have gotten a picture of it with you. It was a pile. It was like had like it was silver but then it also was primer silver like hood and fenders and it was like slammed on the ground it was awesome i loved it i was like 20 when i owned it it was so great but anyways, the, like the roughest ride you've ever had in a car. It was not fun. But anyways, uh, uh, one of the things I love to do is I love to go skiing. And so me and my friend and my dad, we took the, my Volkswagen Golf, which is just a bad idea to begin with, um, up to Mount Hood Meadows. And so we, we snowboarded all day. But then we also did night skiing. And um, we were coming down the hill. One, my defroster did not work well enough, to, and it was snowing. My defroster did not work well enough um, to defrost my windshield um, fast enough because it just kept freezing. So then I had to put my, my goggle, my ski goggles on and head out the window because my, my windshield would not defrost because this car was a pile. But anyways, we get to Gresham, um, just outside of Portland. We stop at Del Squirdo because we're like, hey, it's cheap tacos. Del Taco, by the way. Um, So we go, we get some tacos. You know those little plastic, I'm sorry if that was disgusting and you're repulsed by that statement. It's just funny. I'm 12. So um, there's, you know those little plastic water cups, those tiny little ones that are like worthless. They're plastic. They like break if you look at them wrong. Okay, so I had one of those waters because why would you buy pop as a 19-year-old because you don't have any money. So my head, one of my headlights wasn't working. So I was like, you know what, let's wedge something in there because it just needs to be at the right angle. So I smashed one of these cups and I, and I jam it in between the battery and the headlight on um, the driver's side of this car. And uh, my headlight worked. And it was fantastic. Drove all the way home, had that car for months after that, actually sold the car with the plastic cup inside of the engine bay. Dude, plastic cup included, and um, it was pretty awesome. But I didn't have the tools to fix it, and then I was like, you know what, this is working, so I'm just not going to fix it. And um, I sold it with that cup. But um, And you might ask yourself, like, what the heck are you talking about? Like, why are you giving us this, this example? Um, what I'm not trying to do, I'm not trying to simply boil sex down to this metaphor of when you don't have a, the right tool or you use a tool Um not being used in its proper form. I don't want to boil this this whole topic down. I don't think it's helpful. But what I am trying to illustrate is what Tim Mackey illustrated in this sermon that I referenced to earlier is this. He says, everything has a purpose. And when things aren't used the way it was designed, we cannot predict the outcome. So much like the Corinthians, our culture has also adopted This stance that sex is just a physical act and nothing else. It's just a tool. You can just use it. You can do whatever you want with it. It's totally fine. It's simply my body engaging in something that feels good and needs to happen. Much like the illustration a moment ago, when it's not used in accordance with this design, the outcome is not predictable. We may not understand the damage that it can cause to our mind, our soul, and our spirit. Tim Mackey also said this when sex is used in line with its purpose, it has great beauty and goodness. When it's not used in line with its purpose, it has great potential to bring harm, to wound us, to distort things inside of us. We see this distorted view of sex everywhere. We see Carl's Jr. using sex to sell hamburgers. We, No joke. (laughs) Dead serious. I'm like, it's a hamburger. Like, we're going to buy a hamburger no matter what. Like, gosh. We use sex to sell cars, perfume, shampoo, like, whatever product it is. We also use sex as a way for people to show that they are committed in a relationship. The pull for instant gratification is so strong when it comes to physical intimacy within a relationship. Kat Harris says this. She says little else will develop the muscle of integrity, discipline, and character like saying no to sex in the midst of a culture that worships instant gratification. And she later went on to say this as well. Even though it's really hard, perhaps saying no to sex outside of marriage is saying yes to a greater invitation. Perhaps an infinite God has more wisdom than my limited life experience. If God invites me to flee from porneia, I can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it is for my good, because God is for my good and he does not hold out on me. Choosing to delay pleasure and satisfaction, especially when we're saying no to an incredible thing, is countercultural. And isn't that the continual invitation of Jesus, to be countercultural people. So as a, as a Christian, as a person who follows the way of Jesus, what do we do when we're tempted to use sex for our own gain or use sex outside of its original context of marriage? Well, let's finish with verses 18 through 20. Flee. Flee from sexual immorality or porneia. All other sins a person commits are outside of the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Most scholars believe that the phrase, um, all other sins a person commits are outside of the body. This phrase right here is the Corinthian argument for their actions. They believe that sin is what you do to other people's, other people, if I was to kick Madison in the face, like that is a sin against her. If I'm to say like like horrible things uh, to Christian, that is a mean and rude things and then flip him off or something like that is that is rude. That is not honoring Christian. And so like that is me sinning against him. But often what scholars believe is the Corinthians are like, no, but this is my own body. This is me. I'm not not harming anybody. I'm not doing anything to anyone else. This is just me. It's not that I'm forcing myself on this person. This is consensual. This is just the way that it's, it's working. That's not sinful. But that's not what Scripture says. Paul denies that and says, your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Your body is spiritual. It is not just Flesh and bones. Your body is where the Spirit of God resides when you surrender your life to Jesus and receive salvation. Your body, soul, and spirit was bought with a price. Jesus' life was given not just for your soul, but for your body as well. And Paul encourages the Corinthians to view their bodies as a temple for the Lord and not a slave to our impulses and desires. I want to wrap up here in just a minute. And you might be asking yourself, um, Taylor, I don't think you've answered the question. (laughs) I think I have. But in a way that illustrates and explains the big picture of what God has intended for sex. And I want to leave you with a few questions to ask regarding physical interactions within relationships and how to set up appropriate boundaries. These questions will be on the screen. Up until now, what have your physical boundaries in dating been? And why? And moving forward, are there any changes you want to make? Why or why not? What are some practical things you can do to set yourself up for success in holding your boundaries in dating? And friends, I want to end with this. The beauty of the gospel is there is grace and forgiveness. No matter what your background is, no matter if you are an angry person filled with rage, no matter if you are a slanderous person, no matter if you are currently living a life of sexual immorality, no matter what your background is, the grace of God is bigger than that. There is reconciliation that takes place when we submit our bodies and our minds to Christ no matter what Background is. Now, I don't know where you are with this topic right now, but I do want to end by saying that God sees you, He loves you, and He wants you to know His plan for sex. And that plan is greater than any plan that we could ever have. I want to leave you with this this final thought. Because of salvation, your body and spirit is united with Christ, and sex is a gift from God that unites body, mind, and soul between a husband and a wife. And I want to pray, and we're going to release into our small groups, and we are going to talk through some questions, and I um, am excited about it. So, Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your plan. We thank you that there is a plan. (laughs) And as we, as we try to navigate life, as we try to navigate impulses in our minds and in our bodies, and uh, as we try to navigate, how do, we, how do we honor you? How do we honor you with these impulses? How do we honor you with these desires? How do we submit our mind, our souls, and our bodies to you, knowing that you paid such a high price for us? Our minds, our souls, our bodies, they're not disconnected, but they are all together. And Jesus, we want to be a community of believers that submit ourselves to you in every single area of our life. Jesus, I pray for every young person and every adult that's in this room. No matter what their background is, I pray that they would know that they are loved, that they are seen, and that they are valuable. And it's in your name that we pray all of these things. Amen. Amen. We're gonna jump into our small groups. We're gonna talk through about four questions. Um, The guys are in the back of the room. The girls are in the front. Um, High school is on this side. Middle school is on this side. Your small group leader will release you at 815.